Hi, everyone. Welcome to Fresh Bread, podcast number seven. Fresh Bread, where we're bringing God's truth to a starving world. And we were right in the middle of our podcast on eschatology. We were talking about post-mill. Let's jump back in, Pastor Brandon. 70 AD, when I read the prophetic books in the Old Testament and even Revelation, it's, it seems like a worldwide calamities, <laughs> worldwide destruction, not just a zeroed in on Israel kind of destruction by the Roman army. There's so much chaos going on when you read those prophetic books in the world. Yeah, it's interesting because I think there's always, you know, with prophecy, there's a near and far understanding. And so, sure, I don't have a struggle with 80, 70, having some elements of the of what's going on in the final story, but because of the near and far understanding of prophecy. I mean, basically, you're looking across, if you want to say it this way, looking across mountain peaks. And I, I may be seeing one in the foreground that looks like it's in the background, or it looks like right. it's the same in the same plane, but it, but there's a distance between them. And so, so I think that we have to be careful when we look at prophecy and understanding that that's how it, how it, even in the old Testament, how it unfolds. Um, but so, so there could be some elements of like Matthew 24 for sure, I think speaks of what's going on in AD 70. I think it points to AD 70, but I think it, there's, I don't have any struggle with it pointing to a greater reality of something that's going to happen down the road. Um, yeah, like the wars and rumors of wars. Yes, yes. I mean, so Christ could be speaking in terms of when he's when he's preaching or teaching the the Olivet discourse. It it could be that you know as he's as he's looking across the age as he's looking out, he's speaking of events that are happening in different time frames in in that time, but it's be speaking of them together. And so he's looking across that mountain range, if you will, and he's and he's saying, okay, there's here's a peak, here's a peak, here's a peak, but we're not seeing the distance between those peaks. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, that that was Dr. Essex back in at TMS that I first heard that. I from. know I heard that somewhere. Yes, I mean, he's a much smarter guy than I am. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because going back to the Psalm 110, and it's not just Psalm 110. I mean, they would also point to Isaiah 42. You know, Isaiah 42 seems to have, you know, a, there seems to be a progressive nature that's going on in Isaiah 42 where, you know, God's kingdom is progressively coming coming to pass. And and so they would argue that, you know, as the church, that we're part of that progressive, you know, that God is that God is through the church. He is conquering the world and, and that we're part of that. And so they would point, you know, to Isaiah 42 and see that as being something that happens progressively. Um, but they would also point, you know, to First uh, Corinthians 15. I think it's, it's important that we see this as well. Uh, they, would, they would point to First uh, Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 28, um, which happened to be one of my exegetical projects in, in seminary. And, but it's interesting because in, in verse uh, 25, he quotes Psalm 110. Now, remember, you know, Psalm 110, we just said, was this idea of Christ's enemies being put under his feet and, you know, reigning until that would happen. And so they would see the, the that Paul is explaining these things, you know, verse 20, but now Christ has been raised from the dead 
first roots of those who have fallen asleep. Now, what he's speaking of is he's answering those who would say that the resurrection didn't happen, but he's saying that it did happen, that it, that Christ was raised from the dead and that he is the first fruits of those who were fallen asleep. And in verse 21, for, for since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each to his own order. Now, what he's what Paul then is speaking to is the order of this resurrection, uh, each to his own order. Christ the first fruit, so Christ is the first to be raised from the dead, you know, the first to conquer death, if you if you will. Then you have after that those who are are Christ at his coming, and so we, so then those who are in Christ at his coming are going to be raised from the dead. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father when he has abolished all rule and authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all things, all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death, for he has, to, he has put all things in subjection under his feet. So, the, so their, their assertion is, is that right now he's reigning. So those who, are, who take the post-mill point of view would say that right now he is reigning from heaven and he's going to reign until the, all his enemies are defeated, and then the last thing to be defeated would be death. And so they don't see any of the intermediate that they don't see the intermediate kingdom that we see there. They say that you know First Corinthians fifteen doesn't allow for that intermediate kingdom, and so they would just see it as as being this idea that when when Christ reigns and he'll he's going to reign from heaven until death is defeated and then he's going to return so that would be at his coming they would the end of this age that he's going to come so then he will uh, raise those who have died in Christ during this this age he will raise them at his coming so that would be at the end of this age and then comes the end. So they would argue there's no room for this intermediate kingdom that we that we argue for from Revelation 20. So when he when he comes back, will we have our resurrected bodies, or will we still have our earthly bodies? I would assume that those being raised in Christ will be given their resurrected okay. bodies. But if we're making the world better for him to come back. The church will still be in their human form because it's still going to be ongoing. The world's going to be ongoing until we make it better for Christ to come back. Well, I don't know. Again, I don't know if that's a mischaracterization of the view that we're making it better for Christ to come back. We're Christianizing the nations. But we are Christianizing the nations. And that it, so he's conquering the world through us. And that when that gets to a certain point, that when that progress gets to a certain point, and I, I've never been clear as to when that would be, like what's that certain point. I, I think Doug Wilson was asked that question, and I don't think he really ultimately answered that. You know, what what is the tripping point where now Christ can come back or is going to come back? But the idea is that we're making the world better, the meaning that that there's a progressive Christianization of the world. But I don't know that it's I don't know that they would view it necessarily as that we're making it better so that Christ can come back as much as that he's using us in order to do his work. Yeah. Wow. Well, hopefully we're clearing this up for everybody. 
<laughs> I'm not sure we are. It's a complicated, like you said, it's a very complicated. I've always been a literal interpretation. The Bible says what it says and means what it means. And this is more, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit more, these things are more subjective. They're more, because we, we do agree that Christ is reigning, but we also agree that, that there's an ongoing battle still between good and evil. And, and it's, it's, all these things are, are going to be dealt with in a future time. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I, I was thinking about this this morning in terms of, as I was thinking about this podcast, I was thinking about the temptations, you know, in Matthew 4, where, you know, Satan actually offers the kingdom to the Lord. And so it's interesting, you know, that, so, you know, going to Matthew chapter four, going to Matthew chapter four, it says that um, in verse eight, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you or I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go Satan for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so, you know, as I was thinking that through. I was trying to I was trying to put that in perspective of what is being taught with post mill theology. It's it's interesting to me that at least at that point, now given this is prior AD seventy, so I think what they would say is is at that point that it you know Satan had it was it was Satan's to offer, but that now it's not it's no longer Satan's to offer. Um, but I don't I, I I will admit that I don't see. I don't see that clear indication of where Satan was bound. I don't see that. I'm not sure I see and understand the, and again, I think they would say that we have a two kingdom theology, you know, that, that we would say that there's a kingdom of, of heaven or God, and there's the kingdom of Satan. But I think clearly here, there is a two kingdom theology in the sense of, at least at this point, at least in Matthew four, there was, Satan had had power, the power to at least offer the kingdoms of the world. And so we see that influence that he's had really since the since the fall that he's had. And so the question that I have is, is that has that influence stopped? I mean, and, and now he's now that's being reversed. And and I would agree that it's being reversed, but I would say it's being re reversed spiritually first and not physically, you know, in terms of, I think he's still. When we look at the governments of the world, when we look at the, when we look at this world system, I mean, John is very clear. I mean, even you know, in his in First John, I mean, he, in in other places, I mean, he talks about this world system. He talks about James talks about this world system. I mean, there's this idea, in at least in the New Testament, that that Satan does have control of this world. That this world is fallen. And, and, you know, Romans 8, that, it, that creation is groaning. And so I don't know, you know, that's the question that I have in terms of, you know, what the, you know, the nature of, of the kingdom versus the nature of, of, of Satan's kingdom, if you will. So where does, where do they put in the, uh, when you look at uh, scripture that says like the mark of the beast, no one will be able to buy and sell and. Uh, all those scripture would that did that happen in 70 AD? Or? Well, I guess I mean I think that would be the understanding. 
boundaries. They would take they would be preterist in that sense that they would believe that that those things were fulfilled in in prior to eighty seventy. Even things like the two witnesses when it talks about in Revelation, or is that again it's we're, we're taking it too literal? What's interesting about this is is that they would say no, actually, you're taking those things that are that are hard to understand. And you're taking those to be literal and you're interpreting everything else in light of that, as opposed to what we're doing is we're saying, no, we're going to take the plain passage that says that Christ reigns, that Christ is reigning, you know, Psalm 110, 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to take those passages and there's other passages they use as well. We could we could do a whole nother show just walking through the different passages and how they would use those passages to prove that. That Christ is reigning now and that we're reigning through in Christ even even today, they would use those passages in that way. So what they would say is, is that we are the ones that are not taking it literally, that they are the ones that are that are interpreting the passages that are more understandable literally in light of and, and that they are then reinterpreting the, the less clear passages based on that literal interpretation. I'm not denying that Revelation is a very challenging book. There are amazing things in it. The the imagery of it is is pretty amazing, but I've also heard that really Revelation is found throughout the entire Bible. That, that there are bits and pieces in the Old Testament that that help explain it. The Book of Daniel and, and some of the, the minor and major prophets um, also hit on some of these as well. Yeah, I mean. As a matter of fact, this morning I was listening to Jeff Durbin, and he said that Revelation would would be considered plagiarism today because it alludes to and quotes the Old Testament. I, I forget how many he he gave the number of allusions and quotations, uh, but it it I mean it it does allude to the Old Testament over and over and over. And funny enough, it alludes to Genesis. Uh, you know the beginning, so you have the revelation that that's the end, and you have that referring back to Genesis an inordinate amount of times. And so, you know, there there is that that understanding that we have to understand. I have to understand the Old Testament so that I can understand Revelation. So what they're what they're arguing is that we're interpreting Revelation, and that we're overlaying that onto the rest of the Bible and we're reinterpreting the rest of the Bible to make it match revelation. And I would argue that actually what we should be doing. And, and I think whether you, you take a post mill point of view or whether you take a pre mill point of view, what we should be doing is interpreting from Genesis to revelation that we should be interpreting the Bible from, from the beginning to the end. Even now, I mean, it, I would argue, you know, you and I talked before this podcast, but you know, I, I think that, that the minor prophets have as much to say about eschatology as as anything. And so, you know, in terms of the scripture, so we have to understand what they were saying in order to understand revelation. We have to understand what they were what they were prophesying and the things that they're saying. I mean, uh, the book of Zechariah is full of uh, full of implications for the for eschatology. I, I will tell you that in looking at post mill theology, and I'm and I'll continue to look at it as we as we continue through this series, as we continue to think through it. I want to really uh, spend some time really thinking through and considering. You know, you asked earlier why we would do this. Why would we spend some time on some so much time on it? I I think that it's it, it's important. 
I think it's critical that we understand. I've, I've spent the past several years, as you know, really studying Genesis, really studying the beginning and understanding the beginning. The reason why I've done that is because I think it, that we have to get the beginning before we can get the end. And there, so there's been a method to my madness. I was, I was even telling you earlier, Keith, before we were recording the podcast that, that, you know, my pastor back in Nevada, my mentor back there, he said to me one time, you know, when I became a Christian, I was very, uh, I was very much into end times, very much into Christ is coming back. The world's coming to an end. I love the left behind series. I was, I was that guy. And what was interesting about it is, is that he, I remember him challenging me and saying, well, you need to understand the middle before you can get the end. And I remember thinking, you know, you're right. And I began, it didn't happen overnight, but I began to really focus more on understanding scripture as a whole. And so that was really the, you know, the first few years of being a Christian was trying to understand scripture as a whole. More recently, I've really seen and understood that the beginning is very, very uh, important. And so I spent a lot of time understanding the beginning and the glory of God and creation and why God created the world for his glory and the fall of man and, and what's going on with that and even the flood and what's going on with the flood narrative and, and the Tower of Babel and, and that sort of thing and Abraham and understanding why Genesis is put together the way it is. But then now the Lord is drawing me to understand and better understand, go back to where I began, which is the end, and now better understand the end in light of what I understand about the, the beginning and the middle. Yeah, I have to say that your your study on Genesis has it's helped me refresh my brain on a lot of that, how things fit together with Genesis so well that you forget it sometimes. And if you get that, if you can get that foundation of, of Genesis right, I think the rest of the Bible, it just opens up. It does. It's, it's, it does, because, again, I started this by saying that Revelation alludes back to the Old Testament and it alludes back to, to Genesis, like I said, of, of several, many times. And he talks, he talks in, those, in that language. And I think the better we understand the beginning, I think the better we get the beginning, the better we're going to understand you know, what he's saying in Revelation. So I would argue, I would say that Durbin and, and, and others are right, that we shouldn't be interpreting using Revelation 20 as our lens to understand Scripture. I would argue that he's right, that we need to start with the beginning and work our way through to the end. But, that, but I would say where he's wrong is, is that I can, because I do have an understanding of the beginning, because I do have an understanding of, who, of, of Israel, because I do have an understanding of the church, you know, the beginning and the middle and the end, then because I have an understanding of Scripture, I can interpret Revelation 20 in light of what the rest of Scripture says. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because I, I do see Christ, I do see really the overarching theme of Scripture is the kingdom of God. The overarching theme of Scripture is the fact that God is going to rule, is God's rule. I mean, if you really get right down to it, God's rule. And so how is he going about now with, you know, considering the, the fall of the world, considering that the world is under the influence of, of, the, of Satan, how is he now establishing his rule? And that's what we're, that's what, that's the story of the Bible. It's the kingdom. Yes. So even the, even the apostles understood there's a coming kingdom because they were arguing who's going to be the greatest, mm -hmm. right? 
can I sit, Lord, will I be sitting at your right hand or will I sit on your left hand? Yes. They understood that. Yes. It's, it's, it's but again, we had to be careful because the post mill guys would not, I mean, they would understand right. it the same way in the sense of, I mean, I didn't say this in the beginning. Probably I should. At the end of the day, we're all going in the same, we all have the same goal. God wins. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the, and I think that's, it's interesting because we, you know, that there's another, there's another millennialist, you know, there's post mill, there's a mill, there's, there's pre mill, there's also pan mill. It'll all pan out in the, yeah. in the end. And, you know, and so I, there, there's a, you know, the pan millennialist, I mean, in, in a sense, I mean, I, that they make sense in the sense of, in the sense that God is going to win. I mean, it, 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 it will all pan out and, and I can understand it that way. But I don't think that that's honoring ultimately. I'm not saying that we should all be paying millennials. That's, that's why I asked you at the beginning, is it a big deal? Should we even worry about this? Yes, I think it is a big deal. Okay. And I, Well, and let me tell you why, Keith. Because I think that our understanding of the end changes or affects the way we present ourselves to the world. Hmm. And maybe, I don't know if I said this on the podcast, I know I said it earlier, that if I'm a post-mill guy, I see myself as a conqueror. I see myself as going out. I go out and I preach the gospel because I'm making the nations. I'm, I'm that my goal is to Christianize the nations. So therefore, I am actually having in their mind, I'm having an effect on this present world in the sense of preaching the gospel. Whereas the pre-mill guy has the tendency to say, well, I want to let's just the, the ship's going down. You know, the we're. I mean, that's our tendency. Our tendency is to say the ship's going down. There's nothing here that let's, you know, let's grab as many as we can. Let's go out and share the gospel. So as many as we can get as many as we can into the kingdom, we can give them their, their life preserver, if you will. And because the ship's going down and God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. That's our tendency. And so we tend, there's a tendency to present ourselves to the world in those ways. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, I can see that. And we, and so as a pre-mill guy, as a pre-mill you know, if, if that is truly biblical, I mean, if, if it is, we're going to continue to go through this. But if that is truly biblical, we have to be careful in how we present ourselves to the world because ultimately it matters. You know, that our eschatology actually has an effect on how we do that. And so I would say that we need to be biblical and whatever the whatever the biblical stance is, whether it's post mill, pre mill or on mill ultimately we need to be biblical. And I know they would agree with the same, they would say the same thing. They would say, yeah, we need to be biblical. And, you know, yet the truth is, is that there's only one, there's only one truth. There's only one way to understand it. And that's how God intended it. And yeah. so I think that's what we're after is to really figure out what does God truly intend? You know, and I'm, I'm open. The truth is, is I'm open to whatever the scriptures teach. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not a guy that's, that's, you know, I have, I don't have to be, you know, I think I'm a Calvinist because I think that's, because I think that is what scripture teaches. You know, I'm, I'm a pre-mill guy. I'm pre-mill because I think that's what the scripture teaches. But if I find out, if I see from scripture that that's not what it teaches, I'm, you know, I've, I I want to go wherever scripture teaches. I couldn't have said that better myself because I was just thinking the same thing. If I'm wrong, I'm pre-mill. I want to know. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we're studying this. And the more that we study it, the more I start to say, yeah, I'm pre-mill. <laughs> but as we wrap this up today, we are looking at uh, post-mill. 
the strengths are that it, it you're right it's it's a very victorious it's very appealing like you said to young men because we we get to well into young women too and young women right i mean i'm i'm obviously i need to and to say i understand why young men would want to would go this direction i mean it's very there's a there's a dominion here there's a conquering here so i get that and and but at the same time i mean it's no different for the ladies as well i i just don't think it is on it, quite honestly, I don't think it would be quite as appealing to them because, it, you know, in terms of the, the masculine nature of it. But yeah, it is very victorious and appealing and it, it's, but it's it, gaining strength. Yeah. And the truth is, is that what we have to ask ourselves is it what the scripture teaches? I, I go back to I go back to even the, the situation with, you know, even what we said. I mean, you, you can't do your eschatology by the newspaper. And the truth is, is that that's what's happening, that we all have that tendency, whether we take an all-meal point of view, whether we take a post-meal point of view, or whether we take a pre-meal point of view, we all have the tendency to look at the newspaper or look at current events, look at the current world that we live in, the present world that we live in, and interpret Scripture based on that. And what we have to be careful with is to, is to start with Scripture and interpret the world based on what we see in Scripture. And there is a difference. So again, the strength is that it's appealing, it's victorious, and weaknesses. What do you? What would you say? Well, you know, to be to be kind, I do think that there's a weakness in the sense of this idea of dominion. That you know, we need to be careful with that. Um, there's some danger there. Uh, I think that. I think I want to be kind. I, I, you know, obviously, I would say, you know, because I'm a pre-mill guy. I would say that there's some there's some weaknesses exegetically, and we'll get into some of that when we go through pre-mill. We'll look at the strengths of pre-mill, and then, I, you know, hopefully at some point during all this, we'll compare and contrast the different views. We've been doing some of that as we go along, but hopefully we'll do that more officially. But I think in terms of just practically and practical outworking, I think that it, it it's fleshly in, in its appeal. I think that's a danger. I think that that what it does is it it really it's a rah rah we're winning we're victorious system, and I think it forgets that most of the New Testament isn't about conquering but suffering, and and I know that you know we you know we can have the tendency that the ship is going down, but that's what you know that's what we see in the New Testament, and I don't and. You know, it, it's that's the I mean, in terms of James and how James is, you know, talking to people and, and their suffering and trials, you know, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of our faith produces endurance. You know, the idea, I mean, even, in, you know, Peter and, and the suffering that he talks about and obviously Paul, there is a certain aspect. I mean, Christ, at, you know, Matthew 16, 24, take up your cross and follow me. You know, the whoever wishes to gain the whole world will lose lose his soul type of idea. I mean, the idea, you know, that's that's what scares me, and that's my fear of of those who are going after this is that that you know Matthew 16, you know, Christ seems to indicate that if I'm trying to conquer the world, if I'm trying to gain the whole world, that I may lose my soul. You know, and so you know, I I, I don't want to be unfair in that, but I think that's something that's that's we need to consider is that he's talking about taking up your cross. He's talking about dying. You know, he's talking about being crucified with Christ. And 
and you know that this idea of of suffering and suffering for Christ's sake and you know being you know the fellowship of his sufferings and so I don't think we can so easily jump over the top of that and say now we're just going to go conquer and and it's all changed. Uh, I I just don't see that in the New Testament. All right. Well, should we end it? Yeah, we should okay. end it. Let's end it. Keith. Well, again, these are there's so much there. This is very this we're, we're in the deep as 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 Steve Lawson would say we're in the deep end of the pool with with uh, some of this eschatology because there's so much there and it's. It is very, it's very, you really have to be studious. You really have to study and dig. You have to dig into God's word to really understand it. So, and we're just getting started. We're just on the first one. We just finished post mill. And I'm sure we could go another three broadcasts if we, if we had to, but we're going to move on to all mill. Anything, any last words? Well, Christ is coming. Amen. He's coming and he's coming when he comes. Amen. Couldn't say it better myself. Well, anyway, thank you for listening to Fresh Bread, a podcast of Grace Bible Church. I'm Pastor Keith. That's Pastor Brandon. And thanks for listening.